0: It's my privilege this morning to take us to Psalm 118, Psalm 118, and as usual, my dear brother reminded me yesterday or the day before of this task coming up and asked if I had something that had gripped me and I was like, well, well, brother, the only problem is I only have 10 minutes to do something in and I could probably take all day on this. So please, bear with me as we go quickly through this. Much could be said about this psalm. It's a wonderful psalm. To give you the outline first, and then I'll go through it verse by verse, commenting as I go. This psalm shows us a mighty conqueror, a mighty hero, who's gone through difficulties and come out victorious because of the Lord's blessing. In the first four verses, verses 1 through 4, he calls, he magnifies the Lord and calls his people to worship him with him. In verses 5 through 18, we see the champion's experience. The trials and tribulations he went through and the expression of his faith. Verses 19 through 21 is when he actually approaches the tabernacle of God. The place where the Lord is worshipped and wants to go in and worship him. Verses 22 through 27 are the scenes where both he is speaking and the people in the worship of God are rejoicing with him. And the last two verses, 28 and 29, are his final exaltation of the Lord for his mercy. Let's look at this, brethren. Psalm 118, starting at verse 1. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. Because his mercy endureth forever. Here the hero calls all those in his hearing to praise the Lord's goodness. And brethren, think about it for a second. He doesn't just talk about the goodness, he talks about the mercy of God. You know, unlike angels who can rejoice in God's goodness, unlike creation which could rejoice in God's goodness, sinful man can rejoice in his mercy and look and focus on his mercy. Beyond just his goodness. Verse 2. Let Israel now say that his mercy endureth forever. He calls God's people Israel to praise him. To praise the Lord for his mercy toward them. And brethren again. Go back. Read this psalm later. Think about all the great things the Lord did for Israel. How they rebelled against him. And how he was so merciful to them. Time and time again. Verse 3. Let the house of Aaron now say that his mercy endureth forever. If there was anyone who understood the mercy of God, it was God's priests, because every day they had to come up under the old economy and offer up sacrifices. And they could understand the mercy of God that he, presided, he presented to them. Verse 4 Let them now that fear the Lord say that his mercy endureth forever. Here our hero calls to those outside the pale of Israel, converts, Gentiles like us, to praise the Lord for his mercy. That's our introduction. Let's jump in now to his experience, to the things that made him call forth and delight in this great mercy of the Lord. Verse 5, I called upon the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me. And set me in a large place. Brethren, our our hero had opponents. He had enemies who constricted him. Who fenced him in. But he called unto the Lord. And the Lord opened it up. And gave him a large place of safety to be involved in. Verse 6. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? And brethren, as we go through this. I want you to think about three things in this section. One, think about someone like David and and his life and the deliverances that God had for him. From that, you can look at your own life and think of how God can, has, and will deliver you. But also, brethren, let's look beyond that. Let's look beyond that to the great captain and savior of all of his people, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the things that he underwent for us. But verse 6, the Lord is on my side. The Lord is personally involved for me. And seeing that the Lord is on his side, what did our hero say? It encouraged his heart. What can mere man do unto me? Brethren, do you have opponents? What can they do to you if God's on your side? Verse 7, the Lord taketh my part with them that help me. Therefore shall I see my desire upon them that hate me. Notice there were helpers to our hero here. But much smaller than all the enemies surrounding them. Yet who is the one helper that he counted on the most? It was the Lord. It was the Lord he looked to. It was the Lord who led the way in helping out our hero. He provided him vindication. He didn't worry about personally getting vindication. He knew the Lord would take care of that for him. Verse 8, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Oh, brethren, there's a lot of reasons for that. It's wiser because he's the only one who can truly help us. It's safer because how can you be more secure than in the hand of the Almighty God? And the results are better. You know, you might have friends, just as he mentioned in that previous verse, who are there to, to defend you and work with you, but they can't always Take care of you. They don't always have the ability. Is there any lack of ability with the Lord? No, no none whatsoever. Verse 9 It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. That's right. You know, by their nature, princes are usually stronger, wiser, more able men. Yes. But the key word is that last word I said they're men. So it's much better to put your trust in the Lord than in any man of whatever stature. All nations compassed me about. But in the name of the Lord will I destroy them. The word compass means to be surrounded. Innumerable foes were around our hero. They were pressing in around him. But though he had... Enemies on all sides because the Lord was with him. The Lord was his helper. He could be confidence. And notice, he didn't just say, I'll survive. I'll destroy them. Brethren, if the Lord's on your side, you can be the victor. Not just survive this world. You can be the conqueror over it. They compassed me about. Yay, they compassed me about. But in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. He repeats this to show the dire circumstances around him, totally surrounded, rows and rows of enemies around him. But look at his great confidence. You know, numbers don't count except one number, the Lord himself. And if he's with you, you're in the majority. They compass me about like bees. They are quenched as the fire of thorns. Amen. For in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. Amen. Think about bees. They're small little insects, right? But they come in a cloud. They can be very annoying. You know, come from all directions, stinging you. Be a great irritation. But just like bees, they were no more difficult to overcome for our hero with the Lord at his side. Thorns, it talks about that they would be quenched like the fire of thorns. Thorns. You know, some of the wonderful fires that Adam builds for us you know, can be big and powerful and strong with big pieces of wood in it. But you throw thorns in there, they're consumed in a moment. They're just a little pop and crackle and they're gone. That's the effectiveness of any of our enemies against us, brethren. Or the enemies against our great champion here that we're talking about. Verse 13. Thou hast thrust sore at me that I might fall but the Lord helped me. Notice here he talks about all of these enemies as if they're one enemy. And also if we want to apply this to the Lord Jesus Christ, he did have one singular primary enemy against him, the devil himself. His intent was to destroy the Lord Jesus Christ. Our hero's enemies were the intent to destroy him. But the Lord helped him and delivered him. Preserved by the Lord. Verse 14, the Lord is my strength and song and has become my salvation. You know, you sing songs after a great triumph, right? Your heart's lifted up, you're victorious, and you want to sing. Think about Moses and and Miriam. On the side of the Red Sea as they see all these bodies of Egyptians washing up all over the place. That's the kind of joy and rejoicing that our hero had here, that we can have in the Lord. Yes. Right. The voice of rejoicing in salvation is in the tabernacles of the righteous. Yes. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. Amen. The Lord's people, the righteous, they rejoice in His deliverance of them and the demonstration of His might. Brethren, do we do that as much as we ought to? Do we rejoice in our own personal life as much for the Lord's deliverance as we should? If we've really been delivered, it should naturally raise a song of rejoicing to our lips on a daily basis. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. You know, the right hand, that's the hand of dexterity, of ability, of strength and might. And that's just what the Lord has in his deliverance for us. His wisdom, his dexterity, and his strength and might in delivering us. The Lord hath chastened me. Oh, excuse me. I will not die, but live, verse 17, and declare the works of the Lord. Look at the resolve of the hero here. He realizes that I'm not dying. I'm not going to be destroyed. I'm going to be victorious. And that puts a new resolve in his heart. And that resolve is to declaring the Lord's might and mercy. Now, verse 18, the Lord, the Lord hath chastened me sore, but he hath not given me over unto death. Amen. The wise hero looks beyond all these enemies and realizes none of this is possible without the Lord. Any of the enemies that we face, brethren, are there because the Lord has allowed them yes. to do that. Yes. And brethren, how much comfort and peace should that give us. That our loving Father, all the trials we face in this world come from the hand of a loving Father who is meaning to make us better. Not destroy us, but to make us better. Open to me the gates, verse 19, of righteousness. I will go into them and will praise the Lord. Because of His deliverance, our hero wants to go boldly into the place where the Lord is worshipped, with his people, to glorify and magnify him. This gate of the Lord, into which the righteous shall enter. See, he looks forward to being with his brethren, to rejoice in the Lord, to rejoice in his deliverance of them, and to praise and to magnify the Lord. I will praise thee, for thou hast heard me, and art become my salvation. Brethren, this is a wonderful deliverance that's been wrought. But does he look to himself or any of his activities at all? No. It's the Lord. The Lord is the one who delivered him. The Lord is the one who gets all the praise and the glory for it. Verse 22. The stone which the builders refused has become the headstone of the corner. Amen. You know, you could look at David and say, yes, Saul tried to reject him and didn't accept him as king. And he eventually became the founder, the king who glorified Israel, the greatest king they had in their history. But this reply, this applies to our Lord Jesus Christ. It's quoted in three of the gospels. Yes. It's quoted in Paul's writings. It's quoted in Peter's writings. And it's quoted in particular talking about the establishment of his kingdom, which, brethren, we are part of. Yes. Our hero. The stone that rejected by the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Romans, and the rebels. He is our king, brethren. He's our foundation. Verse 23. This is the Lord's doing and marvelous in our eyes. Amen. Brethren, as we go into this first chapter, think about this. The first chapter of John. The glorious wisdom of the Word of God made flesh. Amen. There's no other way we could have salvation but for him to bypass angels and come down as the seed of Abraham yes. and deliver us. Thank you, Lord. Verse twenty-four This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the coronation day of our hero. This is talking about our Lord Jesus Christ as he ascended up into heaven. Put down the devil. Put down all principalities and powers. And now is ruling and reigning over them. Verse 25. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee. Send now prosperity. As he came into his throne room, the throne room of God, he could claim the prize. He could claim prizes. And what did he do according to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 8? He led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. And that chapter then goes on talking about the gifts for us. His congregation. In the ministry. In all the different helps he's given to make us his beautiful bride. Verse 26. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. Here we have the righteous who are rejoicing and praising their conquering hero. Brethren, is this the way your heart is lifted up and what you want to say about our conquering hero, the Lord Jesus Christ? I sure hope so. 27, the Lord, excuse me, God is the Lord, which hath showed us light, Bind the sacrifice with cords, even unto the horns of the altar. Brethren, the light of deliverance and the light of the knowledge of that deliverance. The Lord has shown us. He's given to us. And they are talking about the horns of the altar again. This was talking in the context of coming into the worship of God and offering up sacrifice to Him. Well, what are the, what are our horns? What are the horns of what can we offer, brethren? The calves of our lips. That's what we ought to be offering. Our last two verses, verses twenty-eight and twenty-nine: "Thou art my God, and I will praise Thee. Thou art my God, I will exalt Thee." Amen. Yes, Jesus Christ. Always exalted the Father. Yes. He always pointed to Him and glorified Him. And if it's good enough for Him to do, brethren, we should be doing the same. We should be praising the Father and the Son and the Spirit for all the great deliverance that He's that they have worked in our lives. Verse 29 Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Here we are, summing it up, our climax. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good. For his mercy endureth forever. Amen. 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 Excellent. Praise the Lord.